by 2050, if we don't change the way we invest, and, and invest, I think, is different from saving. To me, investing is proactive, saving is passive. And, and if we don't change the way we invest, we're going to have 25 million Americans, uh, elderly Americans, basically living in poverty if, if we don't make a change. Thanks for pressing play. That voice you just heard is our guest, the entrepreneur who wants to change the retirement investment world, Eric Satz. And this is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, the podcast that celebrates the people, ideas, and companies that have the courage to stand out. And if you're new, um, this is a uh, podcast, or you might want to think of it as an oddcast, for people who value real conversations, dialogues about what it really takes to design a legendary life, career, and business. If that sounds like things you're interested in, then you're in the right place. We're sponsored by our friends at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. And while you're there, you'll be able to set up yourself for a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Check out netsuite.com slash different. Now, Eric is on a mission to enable everyone to invest their retirement money in what you could think of as alternative investments, things like uh, startups, growth companies, real estate, loans, digital assets and currencies. And historically, many of these asset types, uh, many of these investments were really only available to the super rich or the super connected. Eric and his company, Alto IRA, they want to change that. Now, if you're a regular listener, you may remember the teachings of some of our prior guests like David Osborne, who's the author of Wealth Can't Wait, or Pat Hyben, who's the author of Six Steps to Seven Figures, or Dory Clark, author of Entrepreneurial, Entrepreneurial You. All of these uh, awesome folks recommend a diverse investment strategy, one that creates multiple income streams over time, and achieving the amazing goal of having your investments uh, take care of all of your expenses. If you get to that place where your uh, monthly or yearly expenses are paid for by uh, your uh, what's called horizontal income, income that just ro comes rolling on in regardless of whether you do things or not, then you're in Fat City. In this conversation, um, you're going to hear about that. And it's also a multidimensional conversation. Not only are you going to hear about alternative investments and why they matter, the other thing you're going to hear is Eric is a legendary example of a missionary entrepreneur who passionately has a point of view. And, um, you know, he's, he's niching down on his category and he's delivering his point of view. So this conversation really operates on both those levels. Go to lockhead.com for the show notes and key takeaways from, uh, from this episode. Learn more about Eric's awesome background. Now, hey-ho, let's go. There's one thing in terms of the level of information that is available. It's another thing to digest it and then use it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I built a garden fence over the weekend. Uh, it was Mother's Day yesterday. And, um, you know, I popped up a, a video on YouTube 
it funny, you know, ironically, it was titled How to Build a Garden Fence. Yeah. Um, and, and it was amazing, right? If that weren't there before, I can't imagine the amount of time and research I would have had to have done in order to figure out how to do this efficiently. Yes. I mean, it saved me time and saved me money and it made me a happy wife. So. Well, and was it a, a guy or a gal who did the video? The video was actually by a guy and he had his daughter helping him in the video, which for me, uh, so I have two kids. I have a 20 year old uh, who this week, I guess, finishes his sophomore year. And then I have an 18, uh, that's a boy. And I have an 18 year old daughter who graduates in a week. And I got her to come out and build this fence with me. And we had an awesome time. Yeah. And so this dude puts this video up just probably because, right? Yeah, just because, you know, because he wanted to be helpful. I actually looked for more videos from him and I didn't find any. So he just decided that this was going to be his thing. And it was super. No, it's amazing. Like I I, I told you, I just got this new um, console for my setup and, uh, you know, got it and started playing around with it. And of course, the first thing I do is, is search for uh, what are the best settings for my mic setup with this new console. And sure enough, to your point, there's a guy on YouTube standing there going, I'm going to do a comparison between, you know, the Shure mic, which is the one I have, and this other mic and the different settings and, da -da -da -da, and your different kind of voice. And, and literally in 15 minutes, I figured out not just how to set this thing up, but how to set it up so that it works best for my voice by watching this guy's YouTube video. You know, that's just, that's just perfect. That's awesome shit. <laughs> it really is. Epic even. Yes. Now, we share a very good friend in common, Dr. Dr. Eddie Yoon. We, we do. Eddie is fantastic. And, and the funny story there is, I was reading an article that Eddie had written in Harvard Business Review on MoviePass. And um, everything that he was expressing in this article just aligned with my own views of that particular company. So I reached out the email to tell him. And uh, at the same time, I took the opportunity to tell him about what we were doing at Alta YRA. Uh, to see if he might be interested in working with us. And that was the start of a of a great relationship with Eddie. Just an absolute superhuman being. Well, and, you know, that's a great example of how awesome it is today, right? I mean, in, in the quote-unquote olden days, if you read an amazing article in the HBR and you want to get a hold of that author, like, okay, well, so now what do you do? Do you start, like, trying to be, okay, well, he's in Pigeon Chicago. carrier. How do I find him? Like, like way hard, right? <laughs> Pigeon so, carrier. Yeah. I mean, it, if it happens, it would be unbelievably lucky, you know, 30 years ago. But, but today, his email address is right there. I ping him. And, you know, we form a relationship. You know, and the amazing thing is, like, I think about who some of my heroes were in business as a kid, you know, whether it was Peter Drucker or um, uh, David Ogilvy or wh whoever it might have been. And, you know, you read one of their books and you go, man, I just I just want to tell this person how much I love them. Right. There was even no mechanism to do that. And I never thought, Eric, when I started down this path of podcasting and writing, um, it never occurred to me how much interaction I would have with people. 
And, um, you know, I often wonder, I bet you David Ogilvy and Peter Drucker w- would have enjoyed what they did even more if they knew how many thousands and ultimately millions of people loved them and could tweet them and tell them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cannot agree more. I mean, the ability for you to do what, what you do um, and for others to be able to reach out and touch just people, no matter where they are in the globe, I think is is just a truly well. It's a sign of the times, yeah. right? And and I I just think that's fantastic. Now you're trying to do some breakthrough things in an area where or an industry that's not necessarily known for breakthrough innovation, not necessarily known for thinking in orthogonal ways about how to serve and support customers. Um, why do you care so much, or at least seem to, as I consume some of your stuff, it seems like you really care about changing the way people think about, uh, and I'm not even sure what word to use, financial planning, or I don't know, why don't you- Retirement. Retirement. Yeah, and look, I'd be lying if I said that uh, I caught the bug the minute I sort of learned about it. The the initial motivation was, I don't know, straightforward and entrepreneurial in 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 this in a respect that there was this huge market opportunity 30 trillion dollars sitting in retirement savings only 1% of which was invested in alternative assets when it, when i sort of feel like there should be 10 to 20% invested in alternative assets and so to me just as an entrepreneur it was hey, I can fix this because I experienced the problem time and again. I'm not the only one who has it. It's a large enough problem to create a solution for. That That was sort of the start. But what it quickly grew into, morphed into, evolved into, was the understanding that we have a retirement crisis in this country that is coming, right? And, and it, it's not like winter is coming, right? But um, it... By 2050, if we don't change the way we invest, and and invest, I think, is different from saving. To me, investing is proactive, saving is passive. And and if we don't change the way we invest, we're going to have 25 million Americans, uh, elderly Americans, basically living in poverty if, if we don't make a change. And so what started out is this, rather utilitarian uh, financial opportunity of a business has really evolved in something that uh, I think is far more important and has uh, far bigger ramifications that if we don't do our job well, uh, I'm not confident that anybody else is necessarily going to do it. And so if we do it and we do it well, it will attract more players to the space. And, and that is the ability to give everyday uh, Americans, individual investors, access to their retirement savings so that they can invest in what we refer to as alternative assets. Alternative assets being non-publicly traded securities. So venture capital, private equity, real estate, crypto, if that's your pleasure. But the idea is to uh, open up areas of investment that uh, have the potential to generate higher returns, higher yields, uh, greater levels of current income, so that we're all in a better position to retire 
if that's what we want. And so, um, so you know, that's what here. we're focused on. Let me make sure I understand what the, the uh, retirement crisis, as you called it. Could you sort of uh, elucidate a little bit on that for me? Yeah. So, so if you think about the conventional wisdom of what to invest to, what to invest in with your retirement savings, you know, it's it's all ETS, mutual funds, index funds. Everybody up until this point in time has said, "Hey, you know, don't make risky investments with your uh, retirement money. You should make very conservative investments. This is what you're quote unquote going to retire with." Well, guess what? Because of the changing uh, public market, private market dynamics, really the best we can expect over the next 30 to 40 years uh, in terms of uh, public market returns and gains is really in the 4 to 6% range. And so the average saver earning 4 to 6% a year for the next whatever their um, sort of retirement time horizon may be, isn't going to make it to retirement. Yeah. Okay. They're not going to be able to retire. Now, now on this one, this is something that I learned years ago. I have a, um, a, well, I have a legendary accountant now, but my accountant for most of my professional life retired recently. Thankfully, he spent almost a decade handing me off to his number two guy who's now in charge. But, um, so Greg, his name's Greg Finley. Greg's legendary for lots of reasons, but one of them was, and I'll never forget when he explained this to me, Eric, he said, look, you read all this bullshit and, you know, hear all this crap on CNBC and Kramer, who I think is probably a giant asshole, and all these other sort of charlatans in the Wall Street uh, world tell you all these stories about all this money that you can make. And what Greg told me, and he was a guy who specialized primarily in high net worth individuals in Silicon Valley, so he had a pretty, you know, solid basis to form an opinion on this. He said, the best investors over a decade if you can do 5% in the stock market net of taxes and fees over a decade, you're, you're doing great. You're killing it. You're killing it. And so I just remember sitting there going, what, what the fuck? What do you mean we have this industry that charges us giant amounts of money? For the most part, the investment industry is one where they make money when you make money and they make money when you lose money. So there's, no, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's no alignment of incentives, which in of itself to me is complete bullshit. And, and there's all this humming and hawing and you meet with your broker or maybe you have an E-Trade account and you spend all this time and you listen to Kramer and all this shit on CNBC that makes you crazy and all that stuff. Uh, and at the end of the day, the best you're going to do is 5% net of taxes and fees. And that's if you're doing pretty well. Yeah. It, it, and look, let's just we can even go back and up a step for a second, which is and, and I refer to this as asset matching. You have long-term savings in your retirement accounts, which by, by which I mean you can't touch this money until you retire, although you can, but you pay a penalty. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, the U.S. is one of the only countries where you can actually take your retirement savings out early and pay a penalty, which we shouldn't allow. But uh, nevertheless... Um, Let's just assume that you're going to leave your retirement dollars in the retirement accounts until you reach retirement age. That means that this is uh, that that this savings bucket should be matched with a long-term investment opportunity. 
illiquid assets, private equity, venture capital, real estate, these are long-term investments. These are the dollars and investments you should be matching. The after-tax dollars that you invest, they should be in the highly liquid assets in the event that you run into a cash problem or crunch. That's what you sell. That's what you liquidate. That's what you use to fix your car or house or take care of your health, not your retirement dollars. And so the conventional wisdom has been entirely backwards and opposite from what it ought to be, which is long-term savings, long-term assets. And that, by the way, is where you get your bigger returns because there's an illiquidity premium that comes with with illiquid assets. Yes. And look, I I don't know about you, but... um the only places I've ever made any real money are in the buckets that you just described. Venture capital, uh, having an equity stake uh, in, in private companies that ultimately either go public or get acquired, uh, real estate, things that are generally uh, more speculative, generally have been the parlance of, of the more elite, let's call it that. And, and to your point, require they're long-term e-liquid, and that's part of why uh, they're risky, but it's also part of why they can yield the best result. And one of the things I find fascinating, it seems to be been happening slowly over the last 25 years, is a slow democratization of the kinds of investment opportunities that are available to more and more uh, what I would call regular people. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot about diversity and equality in our country, and it tends to be around you know, the sexes and the races and et cetera, et cetera. And of course, that's an important conversation. But the one we talk less about is inclusion and diversity of investments. And there's been this law, and I want to talk to you about where things are at with this, where you had to be a quote unquote accredited investor. You had to have a net worth and an income of a certain level in order to participate in some of these things. Um, and, and while I understand the government wanting to protect people who have limited means from doing some of the, but, but my attitude is always like, well, Hey, fuck you. Why are you telling me what I can and can't invest in? If I'm somebody who's a, a got a lesser net worth, but I, I've educated myself and I want to invest in venture capital, or I want to invest in some kind of a real estate opportunity or whatever it is, you're telling me just cause I don't have enough of a net worth to do it, that I'm stupid and I can't do it. So where there, are we there, with all these, with all that thinking and all those regs? So there's so much fucking arrogance in, you know, on, on involved in this particular topic. And it just makes me angry because um, if you think about where the high net worth individual in this country, uh, I'm going to use the word earns because there's not a better one at the moment or earn their you know, wealth, uh, it's predominantly one of two ways, right? They inherited it or they were invested, (laughs) they were invested in some form of startup, you know, whether, whether it's a company that raised, uh, venture capital, uh, during the last 40 years as the venture capital community has, has grown up, um, or they were an entrepreneur, right? That, that's how, that's how they built their wealth. And so, you know, all these startup companies, by the way, Silicon Valley, uh, Boston, New York, Chicago, Nashville, of course, because that's where we are. You know, we tell, we tell these startup companies that they can hire 
these these young new employee workforces, um, and and that these individuals can take uh, equity and compensation in the form of uh, employee employee ownership, right? It's okay for the for, for us to allow a 20-something-year-old to bet his or her uh, income on a startup company, right? Entire income being bet on a startup company. But it's not okay for us to tell them that, hey, you know what? If you like this other company off to the side, you can go ahead and invest in. Like To, to me, that doesn't line up. That doesn't make sense. It's asinine. And it's another example to me of how the system is rigged. And that's that's where my anger gets fired up, which is uh, don't tell me what I can and can't do with my money. Don't tell me that a certain, indiv- certain class of individual in our society is allowed to invest in startups, is allowed to invest in certain real estate type things, et cetera, et cetera. And a certain class isn't. We should all be free to um, make or lose all of our money if that's what we want to do, right? There's nothing... I- if I want to take my entire net worth right now and put it in Apple stock, the government doesn't fucking tell me I can or can't do that. And maybe that's a good idea. Maybe that's an intergalactically stupid idea. But I am a free human being in supposedly a free society. Why can't I make the investment choices that I want to make? And, and so this leads me to a question, which is, you know, and I know this is a big part of the mission that you guys are on. Where are we in terms of the democratization of investment opportunities and obviously in your case focused primarily on the on on the retirement investment opportunities that uh, all of us can have access to so the good news is we're making progress and we're making progress in the following way um congress uh you know miracle of miracles actually passed a law um and it was called the jobs act which is jumpstart our business startups act uh, and within the Jobs Act was something called Title III and regulation crowdfunding. And regulation crowdfunding makes it legal for any investor, accredited or otherwise, to participate in security offerings from companies that are raising money via one of these Reg CF certified platforms. Uh, and we have certain partners that we work with that are uh, Reg CF. WeFunder uh, is one of them. Uh, Republic will be uh, coming onto the platform shortly. Here is another ground floor also coming onto the platform. Uh, and then we also work with other investment platforms like uh, AngelList and YieldStreet. Um, we hope to be working with a company called CrowdStreet. But the, the point is, regardless of asset class, equity or debt, uh, you know, company or real estate, within real estate, commercial or residential, it doesn't matter. If an offering is listed on a regulation crowdfunding portal, then anyone can participate. Now, there are limits to your participation. There are, there are quote-unquote, income tests, but these are uh, self-reported tests and benchmarks, if you will, right? So... Um, what, what we really need to have happen though, and, and what I hope Congress will, will make happen, because it's definitely a bipartisan issue, is that non-accredited investors ought to be able to invest in funds, right? So instead of picking a series of, uh, investments, pick a, pick an awesome fund manager, right? Pick, pick Blackstone. 
and let, and let Blackstone take money from unaccredited investors and diversify across a family of funds. Look, I, I think that would be a good step. I do. But I, I still, let me push on you. I still think it's bullshit that I can't invest directly. One of my objections to funds is, you know, over the years, off and on, I've invested in some of these um, these hedge funds, right? Mm-hmm. Well, fucking A. Uh, for the most, with very few exceptions, I have gotten out of most of them. And, and the reason being, the fees they charge are mind boggling and they charge those fees whether you make money or not. And their carry is typically a massive percent of the fund. So I look at it and go, and I don't know whether Blackstone is, and you could tell me I'm not anywhere near as educated as you are, but I look at it and go, you know, fuck you for A, charging me so much to manage my money and B, taking so much of the return for yourself. So I guess my point is, well, that might be progress. For me personally, I, I, I got some big questions when an investment advisor who works with me or my wife says, hey, we w- I want to put you in this fund. I got some big questions because I know that these assholes have set themselves up that no matter what, they make money. And under only certain circumstances, I make money. And... While it's great that people are getting access to these funds, why aren't they getting access to the whole thing? Why why aren't we lowering the bar on this bullshit idea of quote unquote accredited investor? So, so you're not going to get an argument from me, by the way. <laughs> I didn't think I, I would. <laughs> no, 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 no. So he, here's the thing: the the first the first part, which I think is the most important part, is that we ought to be able to invest in anything we want to invest in. I think it's utter bullshit that we say that certain people, because they haven't yet made as much money, aren't knowledgeable enough to diligence an investment opportunity and decide whether or not it's a good opportunity for them. Why do we allow these people to go to Vegas? Hallelujah. Why do we allow these people to represent our country in wars? Why do we allow these people to vote? Why do we allow these people to buy guns? Why do we allow these people to make other people? Why do we allow these people to drive cars? I mean, fucking so. So we're we're on the same page there, right? Because if we're not, then it's a slippery slope, and we might as well live with Putin and Russia. Okay, so well, and some people let, think that may be coming. <laughs> well, <laughs> some people think it's already happened, but um, in 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 any event, uh, back to the question at hand, right? If you can go to Vegas, then you ought to be able to 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 invest in a company that you want to invest in. And and here's what we talk about: what we don't think you should do is invest in just one company. Right. If you have ten thousand dollars in savings, we don't suggest you take ten thousand dollars and invest it all on one company. Odds are way against the same way they're against if you go bet it on black or red. Right. So but but actually worse. The odds are worse than black or red. (laughs) It's like 90 percent against. So so don't do that. Instead, what we preach is um diversification diversification across asset classes and within asset classes but and and that's what leads me to the the idea of the fund okay and i think if it if and 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 think about it for a second funds charge ridiculous fees today and they charge ridiculous fees from a very high net worth segment okay but instead, and, and they do that because 
it, you know, that that is a much smaller segment of the population, although they represent a lot of dollars. All right. But it's a much smaller percentage of the population. And they get call it two and 20 because somehow they've convinced the market that two and 20 is the right number. All right. But what but if we're able to open up 30 trillion dollars. OK. And there's actually a book called Rescuing Retirement that Tony James, who is the now vice chairman of Blackstone, wrote with an economics professor from the New School. And that and that's actually where the 25 million elderly in poverty by 2050 comes from. And, and you know, Tony makes a number of different arguments in this book. But one of the arguments is that if we are able to open up uh, this level of cash for investment and management, well, you can drive fees down and you can set floors, right? That, that actually that, makes sense. Isn't that what happens when you democratize markets and you enable competition? Essentially, what's been going on, let's call a spade a spade. The system is rigged for high net worth individual, yeah. individuals to um, uh, artificially deflate uh, competition for what you're calling alternative investments. There are less people qualified to do these things, and therefore there are less people going after them. And that means the high net worth individuals have less competition. And so what we're talking about here is democratization of investment opportunities, yes. right? And when you do that, to your point, there's all this money that is, quote unquote, you tell me how to think about it, sitting on the sidelines that may want to come into this that has heretofore been held back. And when you let that money in, fees should go down, competition should increase, and and you have a free market as opposed to what we have today, which is a game. That, that, that's exactly correct. It's supply and demand, right? It's a very basic economic principle. And, and, um, and now, so where, where are we today? If I'm somebody who's not an accredited investor, and by the way, what's the definition of, do you, can yeah. you tell me what the current definition is? Yeah, the, is the, the current investor? definition of an accredited investor uh, is someone who has a million dollars of liquid net worth, not, not including their home, um, and or has made $200,000 individually or $300,000 as a couple the last two years with the expectation of earning that same level of income in, in the current year. And, and that defines an accredited investor. Um, and that says, if I tick the box that says I'm that, then I can invest in a venture fund. Then I can, I can invest in, in my nephew's startup. Then I can buy a lot of these uh, real estate things that heretofore I haven't been able to get involved. So, in. so what's interesting is that anyone can invest in real estate and anyone can make a loan. But if you want to participate on what are mostly accredited investor real estate platforms, then you have to be an accredited investor. And, you know, I, I love real estate for uh, retirement savings because one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is is the fact that your retirement savings is tax deferred if it's a traditional type of IRA account and that's traditional or, or SEP or solo 401k. And, and it's uh, tax free. If it's a, if it's a Roth IRA, you've already paid, you've already paid the tax on the money in your Roth and that you can invest on a tax free basis. And, and of course the, the most famous sort of Roth IRA investment to date, um, 
it was Peter Thiel's $500,000 Roth IRA investment in Facebook, which turned into a billion dollars tax-free, which was what we call a good outcome. Yeah, no, of course, Eric. Um, you can't live on that, but it's a nice start. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a start. It's a start. But here, but it, but here's the thing. You know, people say, yeah, Peter Thiel, five hundred thousand dollars. Like that's missing the point. Okay, whether it's five hundred dollars or five thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars, if you generate a, I don't know what percentage return that was, but it was like twenty thousand x, I guess. Whatever it was, I can't. No matter, I, no matter I, what you, <laughs> no matter what number you start, three, three anyway. So that I'll never be able to calculate. Yeah. So, 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 no, no matter what number you start with, you multiply it by twenty thousand, and you got a much bigger number, right? That's the point. Yeah. And so we're now at a place where we are we are seeing some democratization, and obviously. Um, your vision for your company, and I obviously would love you to describe it in some more detail for me, is essentially to be the place where people can uh, um, invest some meaningful percentage, if that's what they want to do, in these kinds of um, investment opportunities or assets, however you want us to think about them, um, that hadn't been available typically to regular people before. And to your point off the top is, and this is one I've, uh, I've always agreed with you on, even before we met, was <laughs> it seems crazy if you're a 35-year-old person or even a 45-year-old person to say, listen, with your IRA, with your investment accounts for your or your retirement accounts, let's be ultra conservative because that's your retirement money. When in point of fact, it's not money that you're going to need for 10, 20, 30 years. And so if this is by definition a liquid, by definition, long term, then if you don't need it for 20 years, why wouldn't we swing for the fences on and you'll tell me what the models say today on what percentage should be swing for the fences, alternative shit. But probably we, we, we let me say it this way. We can afford a higher level of risk in something that we're looking at 30 years down the line than in something that we need to yield grocery money uh, six to 12 months from now. That is- Look, we're in complete agreement on, on this point. And that's what we enable people to do at Alto IRA, which is um, we, we provide easy access and deal execution for people who want to invest in alternative assets. And we've done it by building uh, a platform that has relationships with both investors and what we call issuers. Issuers are companies raising money or, or uh, people selling real estate or securities of, of any sort of physical type, type of nature. And, um, you know, where if you're someone who's never made an alternative asset investment before, it can be a very um, complicated, frustrating time. It's like building your own garden fence without a YouTube video. Right. And so what what we've done is uh, we, we've tried to model TurboTax in the sense that we've taken an otherwise people and paper burden process, ripped the people and paper out, taken um, complexity, turned it into simplicity, where all you have to really be able to do is kind of follow the bouncing ball. Right. We ask you a question. You give us an answer. We ask you a question. You give us another answer. 
and we walk you through this process using technology which scales such that we're able to drive the price of execution way down. And, and, and our goal is to continue to uh, help democratize this investment industry and, and, and investment landscape so that hopefully, you know, come retirement time, everybody in America actually has a choice. And, you know, what, what started back in 1933 and 34 with the, uh, the SEC and, and the laws that we have today, and we still, we still refer to them. I mean, people were getting ripped off because they were investing in railroads that were never going to get built, right? So we're in a very different position today. You know, if you're a charlatan, somebody is talking about it on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or pick your social media of poison. It's getting, somebody's talking about it somewhere. It's getting harder and harder to be a secretive asshole, right? <laughs> it's so hard to be an asshole these days, right? You know, and, and, and so if that's your game, somebody's going to know about it, right? <laughs> I mean, so the, 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 the two companies that we can look at, one sort of public, one private. Blue Apron, okay? Blue Apron went public. It's my theory that Blue Apron went public because it, because it couldn't raise any more private money. It should not have been a public company. And, and the SEC, which is protecting America, right, lets Blue Apron go public. Now, all, all the really smart, wealthy people uh, who, who wanted to be, you know, in the blood testing business, like who, who didn't know anything about uh, bioscience, somehow managed to uh, throw away billions of dollars, right? And these are the smart accredited you're talking, you're investors. My, uh, she's probably the person that in the entrepreneurial realm has made me the most angry of late. Elizabeth Holmes at their- That home. is who I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, (laughs) it just goes to show, right? You know, accredited, non-accredited, wealthy, not wealthy. Like if you want, everybody can, everybody can be ripped off. And and, and if you don't want to do. And by the way, just as a side note, the reason I'm so furious at her is we need more entrepreneurship. We need more innovation. We need we need more of the kinds of things that Theranos was pretending that it was doing. And it just pisses me off. Look, when, when entrepreneurs try, when inventors try and they, they go for it and it fails and, and what you know, that, that's called learning. Right. And, and we all got room for that. Had it been an authentic attempt and they couldn't pull it off. Well, so be it. You know, smart people got involved. They risked some money and she made a swing. That's it not what happened. They fucking lied. And so what I hate about that is don't you shit in the entrepreneurial and the innovation sort of swimming pool. I hate that, right? Because we want to attract people who truly care, who are trying to do stuff, some of who will, whom will succeed, some won't. But that was clearly just a giant rip. But, in, but by the same token, draw that out, right? Don't tell us that we need more protection for non-accredited investors because this you know, hand, it's more than a handful, a couple handfuls, you know, of accredited investors got fooled, right? Well, I, I promise you, 
that that the people who are still trying to earn their money, they spend a lot more time looking at investments than those who already have it, right? You know, because it's a big deal to them. You know, for for a lot of the folks in Theranos, you, you lose a million dollars. No. Well, and to me, the thing that's going to fix more Theranos, Theranos is, or whatever the plural of Theranos I, whatever the plural of that is, what's going to stop that is not changing regulations, is not is not trying to protect investors from themselves, is not any of that stuff. Her and her partner and maybe some other people there need to fucking go to jail. That's how we stop people from being assholes and criminals, not by doing... Uh, egregious rags and trying to tell people what they can and can't invest. In. Amazes me she's not in jail yet. She better damn well go to jail. You know, there's, there. just as a side note, there's a narrative in Silicon Valley that says the following. Well, uh, because she never sold any stock and never personally profited, then she shouldn't go to jail. That's bullshit. And That's bullshit. I'm like, well, uh, what, what are you talking about? She committed a massive fraud. And there were people who made healthcare decisions about this. And then, of course, there were many people who lost many uh, millions of dollars in this. And so you did massive damage. You did it knowingly. You did it illegally. And the fact that you didn't personally profit is neither here nor there. You should fucking go to jail. What kind of country? I agree with you. I mean, whether or not she made any money is entirely irrelevant. Entirely irrelevant. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Eric. But the, 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 the bigger lesson for the investor is do your fucking homework. Do some diligence. Don't take anybody else's word for it. And, and if someone can't answer a question or, or continues to dodge a question about their product or about their technology, I mean, it's just a, it's a red flag. Run. The one, and I learned this from... What was, what was his name now? You'll remind me. His first name was Peter. He he was the Magellan Fund guy. He oh. wrote all those books that were hugely popular. Yeah. Peter Lynch. Was, uh, was Peter Lynch with Magellan? It is Peter Lynch, but I, I don't know if he was Magellan. You know the guy that I'm – when Fidelity Magellan was the biggest fund in the world. Doctor, yes. And he was the biggest name in, in investment. You know, one of the things that he said to – and it was when I was a young man, so I, it really you know spoke to me at the time – was invest in things you can understand. You know, I get I get calls all the time to participate in all sorts of things. And it's like, look, I, you know, I spent 30 years in the technology business. I have no I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I have no pattern recognition in that at all, like none whatsoever. You, you want to talk to me about how to build a legendary technology company. I, I, I you know, I, I can tell whether or not I'm interested in getting involved with that. But you want to talk about some other industry? I, I have no idea. And so on that stuff, it's like. I don't. I don't understand blood testing. Yeah, I, I, that yeah. that that's a mystery. So I'm curious, Eric, to ask you. Um, obviously, this is a new new category, a new niche that you folks are pioneering. Yes. Well, here's what I would say: we're, we're pioneering in two different ways because it's actually been around since the mid '70s when ERISA was created. This ability to take your IRA and invested in alternative assets, but the industry really hasn't changed since then. So the first thing that we've done is we've built this technology platform, which I mentioned earlier, that A, has relationships with both investors and issuers. And we do that so 
we can have both a network effect and so that we can ask the most appropriate party to provide us with the most relevant information. So we don't ask investors to supply us with the information that the company should be supplying us with. Everybody gets to review the other's information and all the uh, signatures take place online, all the deal execution, it's all electronic signature. So, so that's unique and, and that's new. But the other thing is that we have fully integrated via our APIs with the leading investment platforms uh, in, in the world, um, the most recognizable of which, of course, is, is AngelList out in your neck of the woods, yeah. right? And, and we were incredibly I mean, lucky I'm to not, get... I'm not an expert in your field, but it seems to me they've done a wonderful job. They, they have done a wonderful job. And, um, you know, we, look, I, I think all new businesses, to, it, it, you know, hard work, uh, and diligence is required, but you also have to get lucky somewhere along the way. And and we got lucky to meet Angelus when we did, and they embraced us. And so they were our first technology integration, which certainly uh, gave us a calling card that was recognized among uh, other investment platforms out there. And so we're a technology-first, technology-centric company, And we're only interested in doing one thing as your custodian, and that's helping you make alternative IRA investments. We're not into trusts and estates. We're not into uh, I don't know what. We do one thing, one thing only, and we do it better than anybody else, and we do it uh, at a more cost-effective rate than anybody else. And that's all we want to do. So to me, it's just the classic niche down, right? You just said this is a micro niche, but represents trillions of dollars of opportunity over time. That's right. I don't know how that can be a micro niche, but if you look at the overall landscape of, you know, the investment world, there's a million different niches and companies and products and da, 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 da. You, you got, you got real narrow about this. And, and what I love about what you're doing is it's just a great, you know, people say to me all the time, aren't all the, aren't all the new category opportunities gone? Like how much more innovation can there be? Particularly in mature industries. And I keep saying, listen, there's a niche NATO coming. The technology allows companies to focus on what heretofore have been considered micro niches, but to do it at scale. That's in right. In a way that was never possible before. And once you figure that out, it, it, it creates whole new niche opportunities for companies. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to call $30 trillion niche, but it, it's what we execute on a day-to-day basis doing that that is uh, specialized, right? And so the custodial world is actually a very large world. It's a very horizontal platform. Uh, and, and if you have trust powers, if you have custodial powers, there are many different things that you can do uh, in that role as trustee or custodian. And, and so what I'm saying is we do one thing. And, and that one thing is help you make alternative asset investments better, faster, cheaper than anybody else. It's all we care about uh, together with your retirement and making sure that you're in a position to retire when you get there. And remind me, Eric, how old the company is now? So we've been around for three years, but we've been launched and operating for a year, for a little over a year now. I mean, it must be a year and two weeks or three weeks or something. And uh, it's starting to get really fun. The growth is, is really starting to happen. Way to go. 
And thank you. Walk me a little bit through what you've been doing from a finance point of view. I know you did a, a seed round or an angel round, um, but but sort of tell, tell tell me how you're thinking about capitalizing the company. Yeah. So in total, from the beginning, we've we've raised less than four million dollars. Uh, we we announced a two point nine million dollar round a few months ago. That was our seed round, and that had uh, foundation capital and Sequoia Scout and uh, Amplify LA and Alumni Venture Group, a couple, couple of funds within the Alumni Venture Group, family of funds, um, a couple of very high net worth family offices uh, across the country. And so with, with that, we've been adding to our team. And um, really, it's, it's all about operational execution at this point because the, the platform's there. And of course, we're adding... Um, different different sort of uh, account types. So we started just with traditional IRA and Roth IRA, and now we've added a SEP IRA, and we have what's called an IRA LLC product. That is, uh, is that launched? Is that product when next week? You don't know. Okay, don't know when the IRA LLC. <laughs> yeah, don't know when the IRA LLC product is going to be ready, um, but it should be. Uh, now that I've said it, within the next two weeks. And um, then we've uh, solo 401ks will come after that. And all of that is really just about enabling people to use the most appropriate uh, account type for them in making their alternative asset investment choices. And yep. so that's that's where we're focused. Love it. And the other thing you've done that's sort of interesting, I have this conversation with uh, entrepreneurs all the time. The list of investors that you named is a, a, is literally a who's who. Well, and yeah. I'm curious how you thought about who you raised the money from, not just how much to raise and, and of course, the deal economics on, on the actual fundraise itself. Yeah, so um, in, re- really interesting question. There, there are the, the, the fintech, right? The, the fintech investment community um, is, is pretty well defined. Obviously, when sectors get hot, everyone throws up a label and says, you know, I'm a SaaS investor, I'm a fintech investor, I'm a whatever investor. But the fact of the matter is that uh, the folks I named have been in the space for a while and they have a track record. And so they they were on my uh, you know they were on my high, highly targeted list, if you will, right? And again, just as where I think you need to get some, uh, you need to get a little bit lucky operationally, as we did with Angelist. Uh, I think you gotta gotta get a little bit lucky when you're when you're raising money, and you gotta meet the right investor at the right time with the right pitch. Uh, and you know, we, we did that. And part, part of that is part of that is working hard. Part of that is doing your diligence on, on who the folks are that, that you're meeting with. Um, and then part of it is just having your eyes open and being aware so that when luck is there sitting in front of you, you know how to, you know how to take advantage of it. And one of the things that I would tell any entrepreneur who is, who is raising money, you know, don't try and convert someone who is an investor that is not in your space and doesn't believe in your thesis. That's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time, but it's really a waste of your own energy. Like 
spend the time figuring out who really is active in your space and go after them. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing you did, of course, you have what uh, historically we have called in Silicon Valley, smart money. Right. And it's it's, you know, whether you want to talk about foundation or Sequoia, those are two that I happen to know. But, you know, uh, others that are impressive on your list, not all money is created equal, as crazy as that might sound. Right. And when you have people of the skill set, relationships, experience, uh, like the ones that you've got involved with the business, they bring a lot more than a bag full of dough. That's true. You cannot, I mean, you can't overstate what you just said. Um, and, and that is, uh, you know, the, the people, the people I get to, to call, um, when I'm thinking about something and, and discuss it, uh, with them, given their background and experience is just invaluable. Yeah. Right. And so, the, so the, the ability to do that is ultimately what I think is, is going to help make us the company that we want to be when we grow up. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, speaking of that, if it's five years from now, let's say, Eric, tell, tell me about your dream for the business five years out plus or minus. Yeah. So, so five years out, I, I would like um, north of a billion dollars uh, on the platform uh, being invested. And, uh, I, I think, you know, so I'm going to go out further than five years and then we can walk back to five. And in this, one of the stories I like to talk about is Charles Schwab, actually, because in, in the mid seventies, um, you know, he said, there's no reason that only wealthy people should have brokerage accounts. Everybody should have one. Uh, and, and we're going to make them affordable, uh, and we're going to make them accessible and we're going to teach people how to invest. And to a certain extent, I feel like we're doing the same thing. Uh, we're just doing it with alternative assets rather than, uh, publicly traded assets. And so if we look at, um, traditional broker dealer accounts in the world, in the U S today, we've got 80 million IRA accounts and 70 million 401k accounts. So my goal 20 years from now, which would be a little less than half the amount of time uh, that this industry really grew up on the public side, um, my, my goal would be to have 50 million alternative, what we call alternative IRA accounts. Now, we're not going to have all of them. That's fine. I'd like to have 20% of them. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, and, and, and so I don't know if we're going to get to, to 10 million in, in five years or not. Uh, I suspect not, but I don't think it's crazy to think that we couldn't have a million accounts in five years. And, and I, 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 okay, that's my new goal. A million accounts in five years. I love it. And what I really love is you didn't want to go to five years. You went further out and then came back and it's very emblematic. You know, I quote Eddie all the time. And one of the big things I quote him as saying is, um, the difference between missionaries and mercenaries. And of course, mercenaries will tap out and missionaries will crawl through flaming glass. And if you're a missionary, you do think about things in 20-year uh, increments, right? So it, it just by you saying that shows me, Eric, 
that you have the very long term thinking, you have a very long term commitment to uh, to the mission. That well, you well, thank you for saying that. And um, it is our mission. It's it's our mission to to make sure that everyone in America has this opportunity. And um, my hope is that we do it right, that other people join us uh, on the parade route, and, and that we end up with 50 million alternative IRA accounts 20 years from now. And I think we'll all be better off as a result of it. Amen. Hallelujah. Eric, is there anything else you want to touch on before we kick out? Christopher, I just want to thank you for having me on. I mean, it, it, it was a sincere pleasure. I'm sorry we didn't get to drink whiskey together, but, you know, maybe next time. You know, maybe next time. There will come a time and a place for that, Eric. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks for being such an inspiring entrepreneur. I really appreciate the conversation and stay legendary. My All right, friend. buddy. Thanks, Christopher. A lot of good food for thought on that one. And, uh, it's, I find it always fascinating to see a passionate entrepreneur who's got a point of view, who has the courage to be using that point of view to design a whole new way of thinking about something. Obviously, this case, um, alternative investments. Now, speaking about things that you want to grow, like your investments, our friends at NetSuite want to help you master your growth. And thousands of super high-growth startups, and believe it or not, nonprofits use NetSuite because NetSuite is the platform for growth. It handles all of the key components of your business in one easy to use cloud platform. And it grows with you from the garage to the IPO and beyond. The other cool thing about NetSuite being a cloud pioneer is um, they have a whole set of capabilities for running your business from your smartphone with awesome dashboards that allow you to stay on top of sales, finance, accounting, orders, uh, inventory, and even HR. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to power their growth and stay on top of their numbers. And if that sounds like stuff you want to do, then my friends at NetSuite have a great offer for you. Visit netsuite.com different, and while you're there, you'll be able to get set up with an expert in your industry to have a one-hour growth review. NetSuite.com slash different, because if you want to grow, you got to know, and that's what NetSuite's all about. All right. We would like to thank our friend and guest today, Eric Stratz and his company, Alto IRA, doing more with the alternative IRA at AltoIRA.com. The best-selling book by our friend and guest, David Osborne, Wealth Can't Wait. Why don't you pick up a couple copies? And another best-selling book by another one of our guests in this topic area is Pat Hyben's Six Steps to Seven Figures. Check that out as well. Uh, the good folks at OneLifeFullyLive.org, helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. If you visit one, the number one, LifeFullyLive.org, slash C, Lockhead, with two H's, there you can learn about our new conference coming up in October of 2019 in beautiful Long Beach, California. There's an amazing group of speakers, uh, including myself, <laughs> and I'd love to see you there. So check out onelifefullylive.org slash Lockhead. A podcast that I love, the Unstructured Podcast with the incomparable Eric Hunley. Like this podcast, it's a dialogue show, and I highly recommend you checking it out. 
if you're in the tech industry and uh, or you just like you know technology and you're a little grumpy then check out another one of my favorite podcasts grumpy old geeks with jason DeFilippo and his partner brian schulmeister it'll make you laugh it'll get your grump on the Flourishing Leadership Institute, they facilitate positive change at some of the top companies on planet Earth. If you want to get something big done in your company, go to lead2flourish.com. That's lead2flourish.com. Growwire, it's what legendary entrepreneurs are reading on the internet. Check out growwire.com for stories of innovation. And um, if you are in Ireland, we have a growing audience in Ireland. I know that sounds hard to believe, but it's true. Check out my friends at Fusion PR, Marketing, and Graphic Design at Fusion, F-U-Z or Z-I-O-N dot I-E. And the amazing folks at Kiva.org. This is the nonprofit uh, helping entrepreneurs around the world in, develop, in the developing part of the world with interest-free loans. Check out K-I-V-A dot O-R-G today. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. Um, this podcast is clearly not recommended for wankers. Warning, uh, it can be contagious. Be nice to your mother. Explore alternative investments. Support your local entrepreneurs. Buy John's Crazy Socks at johnscrazysocks.com. Be a podcast legend. Tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. Remember the sage words of Leonard Cohen who said, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Kim Kardashian. Sorry, Kimmy. We just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much. It means the world to me that you would invest part of your life with us. Uh, stay legendary, my friends. And until next time, of course, follow your different.